Are you looking for a new job? Are you hiring but struggling to find diverse, talented candidates? Then we have something that can help our job board. Head on over to revisionpath.com forward slash jobs to browse listings or to place your own. This week on the job board, all remote gigs, baby. Here we go. The Wikimedia Foundation is looking for a UX designer. 36 Creative out of the greater Boston area is looking for a senior designer. Brave Achievers is looking for design students for Go Create USA, a no-fee design training program for Black American youth. And lastly, Bandcamp is looking for a mobile applications developer. Companies, stop making excuses on your D&I efforts and post your job listings with us. For just $99, your listing will be on our job board for 30 days, and we'll spread the word for you about your job to our diverse audience of listeners. Make sure to head over to revisionpath.com forward slash jobs for more info on these positions. Apply today and tell them you heard about the job through Revision Path. Get started with us and expand your job search today. Revisionpath.com forward slash jobs. You're listening to the Revision Path Podcast, a weekly showcase of the world's black graphic designers, web designers, and web developers. Through in-depth interviews, you'll learn about their work, their goals, and what inspires them as creative individuals. Here's your host, Maurice Cherry. Hello, everybody. Welcome to Revision Path. Thank you so much for tuning in. I'm your host, Maurice Cherry. And this week, I'm talking with Britt Lyle II, a motion graphics designer here in Atlanta, Georgia. Let's start the show. All right. So tell us who you are and what you do. My name is Britt Lyle. I am a motion graphic designer. I am a graphics assistant at the Mercedes-Benz Stadium. Now, I've been asking everyone, you know, kind of starting off for these interviews, how they're sort of holding up right now. You know, we're recording this right now in late September. It's pretty, I think, well known that we're going to be in this state for a while now. How have you been holding up during this pandemic? Oh, wow. There have been like, there have been good days and bad days. I've been holding up generally well, but like there have been, you know, good days and bad days. Like I said, I uh, tend to deal with anxiety sometimes. So that has been kind of a struggle to kind of cope with along with like just regular anxiety, then the election and COVID and just the state of the world in generally. But I try to gauge myself and not be consumed by disaster posting and all that. So basically, I've I've just been trying to like keep myself grounded with whatever I like, whether it's, you know, designing something or working on my own projects or working on my own glitch art or listening to music or in zoning out. So but for the most part, I've been doing pretty well. That's good to hear. I mean, I think everyone at this point is kind of adopting their own strategy to this, whether it relates to working or dealing with kids if they're doing Zoom school or even just trying to like carve out times for moments of peace and joy within all of this. So it's good that you sort of developed that strategy. Yeah, it's been very, very helpful. Like one of the things I learned in grad school is like you have to take time to for yourself, especially in stressful situations. And this entire year has just been one big stressful situation. So it's very, very important to like make yourself as comfortable as possible, especially someone who like regularly deals with 
anxiety. And yeah, so I just basically just try to make sure that if I feel like any, some type of anxiety attack coming, that I make sure to remove myself from the situation and ground myself before coming back to reality, so to speak. Gotcha. Now let's talk about your work at uh, AMB Sports and Entertainment. Mm-hmm. Can you kind of briefly describe what AMB Sports and Entertainment is and just sort of what is a regular day like for you right now since you're working from home? So AMB Sports and Entertainment, we are sort of like a company within a company. We do work for the Atlanta Falcons and Atlanta United. My job specifically is graphics assistant. So basically that means I help out anyone who needs help with any other big project, whether it's coming up with game day graphics, video editing, color correction, or any other regular or irregular occurrence that might occur day to day. How did you get started there? On a whim, <laughs> a lot of a lot of the jobs that I've gotten uh, in, particularly design jobs, I've kind of applied on a whim. So I was laid off at my previous job, which I was very, very sad about. And I was just applying, applying everywhere that I can. And I saw the post for a graphics assistant at AMB. And again, it was one of those things for me. It's like, I can't in good conscience pass this up and say that I tried everything that I could. So I applied thinking that like I wouldn't hear anything. And they turned out to be one of the few people that actually gave me like like three rounds of interviews and hired me within like a month. Mm, nice. Yeah. So you mentioned, you know, kind of working on these, you know, not random projects, but you kind of work on an ad hoc basis as an assistant. So are there any sort of projects that you like take the lead on or are you always kind of working in that second kind of capacity? Mostly in a secondary capacity because there are people who have been there since the building opened since as soon as construction ended, they hired a design team and those are, and some of those people have left, but there are still some people who have been there since its inception and they kind of know they built out the process. They're the ones who really like all the assignments, all of the, the dimensions, all of the renders, all of these little details. They're the ones who built it from the ground up, and I essentially follow the process. I'll give my two cents every now and then if I feel like it'll help. But for the most part, they have pretty much have like a game plan laid out for how certain things are done and how certain things are processed. And so, you know, just so folks know, the Mercedes-Benz Stadium in Atlanta is fairly new. I think it was opened in, what, 2018? 2017, actually. 2017, 2017. Okay. And then prior to that, not in the same space, but pretty close to it was the Georgia Dome. That's where I used to work, actually, years and years and years and years ago. I worked for the Georgia Dome, the, the Georgia World Congress Center, and Centennial Olympic Park. So I'm familiar with that whole kind of campus area. And I know back then, I mean, Georgia Dome, all that is owned by the state, but Mercedes-Benz is uh, privately owned. Do you know if like any of the, the Congress Center staff works there also since it's so close? Not intimately. Like I think some people transferred, but I, as far as I know, most people have been there since MBS was a thing. 
I'm not sure if any of the people from Georgia Congress moved on to other projects, but I do know that they got a lot of different people from a lot of different places to kind of help build this team up. Yeah, I was just always curious about that because I still know a good number of people over there. So what's the best thing you would say about the work that you do? All of the work that I do is like kind of unconventional and well, I guess not unconventional, like sort of the dimension sizes that I do that I work with, like no one else in the world really works with these type of dimensions because inside the stadium, there's this big halo board and it's like six feet high. I think it's got like 54,000 LED lights on it. And the, the file sizes and the dimensions that we work with are just pretty unorthodox and pretty wild to kind of like work with. And when I first got started, you know, someone I got trained in art school or just in design in general as, as the standard 1920 by 1080. And then suddenly I have to deal with sizes that are like 50,000, not 50,000, 5,000 or 10,000 sizes. And it's kind of weird, but it's also kind of cool because like you, you, it kind of makes my portfolio stand out a little bit. And yeah, I, I guess that would be the best thing is that like I do I do the, the type of designs that are very different than anyone else does. And it may be kind of hard to put on social, which is why I tend to put it on my website. But at the same time, like not a lot of people can say they have designed the stuff that I designed. Mm. And I mean, sports design in general is its own unique kind of type of design as well. Absolutely. So, I, you know, that's also, I think, part of it. When I know people who do sports design, you can always sort of tell there's like, either it's in the typography or it's in the the actual design itself. There always seems to be some level of like motion. Mm-hmm. Like it always seems like everything is either like caught in the moment or it's propelling you forward in some kind of way. That's what I like about sports design. And what's interesting is that this year, because of COVID, when we were developing our style for um, the Falcons, normally if this was a regular season, if if COVID had never happened, if, if we had just gone regularly, we probably would have just made the made everything on a, on the fly because be, we deal with two different teams. Like our seasons kind of never stop because with if soccer stops, then there's football. If football stops, then there's soccer. And there's very, like, very, very few weeks in between where there's nothing happening. But there's always something happening. So for this year, because, like, there were no games, it gave us kind of the time to really dig deep and figure out what the design is the design is going to look like for this year. And normally they give us, like, a... Um, so there's like there's two teams. So I'm a part of the game production team. So anything that you see on like the Halo or the Mega Board or Fascias or anything that you see on anything that has a screen, I probably have touched or a part of my team has touched. And then you have the digital portion, uh, the people who work on the social, and we help the social sometimes as um, as well because nothing was happening that gave us a lot of time to really kind of dig deep and figure out what the look is going to be. And we were, and we spent like much longer than we normally would have on the design. And 
by the time we came up with the look and the branding for everything, it was kind of automatically approved. Like there was no revisions. There was no do this over. There was, there was nothing like, like I think it was me and two other people. We all have different designs and we all have different tastes and we all kind of like went our separate ways and went to our own sources and figured out what this look was going to be because all we had was a couple of pictures and like a color and that's it and that's all we had to go on so we drew from our different sources and figured out and essentially combined them all together to create this really beautiful design package that we did for the for the falcons and i'm very proud of it because you see elements of everyone in there like no one was like all the ideas that we came up with were used in some capacity. Mm-hmm. And I think it's probably pretty rare that, you know, the design gets accepted on the first pitch. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That, apparently that was the first time that happened in, since the opening. Cause there's always been, always been something where don't like the type or don't like the color or something's wrong. But yeah, like this was like green lit, as soon as they saw it, they loved everything, and I was very happy about that because I'm because we worked we worked really hard on that, and I'm very proud of the team. Nice, nice. Now let's you know kind of switch gears here a little bit. Did you grow up here in Atlanta? I did not. I grew up in Orlando, Florida. I am an orange grown Florida boy with the peach core, and what I mean by that is my dad <laughs> is, my dad is from Orlando, and my mom is from Thompson, Georgia, which is this small little town like two hours east of Atlanta. And I would come to Georgia and visit. So I do have family here, but I, me and my eldest brother, primarily grew up in uh, Orlando. Okay. Were you exposed a lot to like art and design as a child? Like, did you know this was something that you could do? No, actually, like I didn't know about graphic design until I got into college. Honestly, I knew at a young age that I wanted to be some sort of creative. I wanted to be an artist. I didn't care what it was. I didn't care if I did photography or painting or something that was brand new on the horizon i wanted to be a creative and i wanted to to like make something colorful or something like that like i guess my 13 year old brain was that's what i was saying (laughs) back in middle school but um as far as like exposure i guess the only exposure i really kind of had was like my brother and my mom and because my mom she went to college for fashion design but she ended up going into pharmacy to help provide for uh, the family. And she was very successful with that, but she never stopped like doing fashion or being fashionable. So that kind of helped as well. And then my brother would always have like a sketchbook and he would have all these different drawings. And I would, uh, that made me get a sketchbook and tried to emulate him a little bit. And also like my mom's side is, is extremely, extremely creative that, I didn't really figure out until years later. I have all these cousins who are these are like entrepreneurs now. I have one who's like a photographer, one a couple who does like interior design, painting, selling like different drinks from their houses or or whatever, like some form of creative fashion. All like I I, I feel like that definitely came from my mom's side. So that 
has always kind of been ingrained in me and I always wanted to like do something creative and I always wanted to like try to figure out what that was, whether it was writing or painting or something. Yeah. So that, that was kind of like my exposure on top of like doing some sports on top as well. So you mentioned that you just kind of really discovered design as a profession when you were in college and you went to Florida A&M University for undergrad. Mm -hmm. And we've had Mm -hmm. several FAMU alums here on the show. What was behind the choice to go there? Like, what was it like for you once you got there? I'm kind of a legacy kid. So um, my brother went there. My dad went there. My grandfather went there. I had an aunt who went there as well. So, like, I was... I guess the third generation to really kind of go to college. I'm not sure that's right. I know it's not the first because I know like some of my grandparents went to college and they were very fortunate to to have gone to college at the time. And all of my family went to HBCUs, like all of them. So yeah, my that was kind of like in the cards for me. It was either that or BCU, and we already had connections at FAM. So that was kind of like the natural choice for me. And so I stayed in Tallahassee for for a number of years and kind of developed that. I I originally wanted to be a newspaper. I was a newspaper journalism major before I realized that I really didn't like going out and investigating and writing about stuff that I didn't really find interesting. And then I kind of remember like, oh, yeah, I like creative stuff, but I'm not sure if I want to be like an artist, artist, like a traditional artist where I mean, like I could go into photography, but I'm not sure about that either because my I'm still kind of like I'm a good, but I'm not like a professional. So I was very like unsure. And then I was talking to my friend Chris and she, I was like, I think I want to go into graphic design. I think that might be like the way to go. Like I hadn't even done any research at this point. I was just sort of like, I'm just going to go into it and see what happens. And <laughs> like, yeah, because I just, I just kind of went with my gut and just went for it. And I just took one class and liked it and took another, and then another, and then another. And they were like, oh, hey, you finished enough classes to get a degree so so that's kind of how i got started with that and so yeah what was the program like i mean i I hear a lot of great things about fam's program but when you were there like did you feel like it sort of helped you out once you got into the real world the coursework and everything it was definitely a good foundation and a good stepping point because i had never done anything digital in my life like that Social media was still kind of like in its gestating phase. Like we had Facebook and MySpace and all of that. And so I'd done little things like that, but I'd never like considered that, you know, all these title sequences, all these posters that we see for movies, all of these things, all these advertisements, like someone was behind all of that, every single thing. So I never really considered that until like I gotten to the program and kind of understood a little bit more and like the program was was great i feel like it definitely gave me a foothold in how the design world works and especially for black designers because every one of my classmates was a black designer 
Like in some form or capacity, we all had a style. We all had like a certain look. We all knew what our strengths and weaknesses were. And uh, we all kind of leaned on each other for that. So if we, if one of us was struggling on something, we could always like go to another person who was a little bit better at that naturally or just develop the skill. And uh, we all kind of encourage each other to look beyond graphic design as well, which is kind of what led me into motion design. I mean, that's a rarity. I mean, I talked, of course, I've talked to so many people on the show and they were like, well, I was the only one. I imagine if you go to an HBCU, yeah, that makes sense. But I mean, that's a, a very sort of strong network to have. Do you still like keep in contact with any of those people? Not as much as I'd like. We do, like, I do see them every now and then. Like, some of them do have moved to Atlanta as well. So, like, I'll, if there's like an event or a concert or like some sort of design event or even just like, in the middle of like the bus, like I used to live <laughs> near one of my, I used to live one of my uh, classmates and it turns out that we took the same bus route to and from work. So yeah, so like I don't keep up with them as much anymore, but I do what we do kind of like recognize each other because like we were kind of, it was kind of like a family really because it was really beautiful and you're right, like being, having a network of you know, not just designers, but black designers, talented, gifted designers like that is very hard to find. And unfortunately, that wasn't reflected in most of my real world jobs. Okay. I mean, but it's still good to have, though, just as uh, Absolutely. to have a professional network like that. I mean, I think and it's interesting you say that because I went to an HBCU as well. I went to Morehouse here. And, mm-hmm. uh, you know, it's I feel like that's one of the sort of unfair criticisms that tends to happen when people talk about HBCUs is that, or at least what I've heard is that people will say it's a fantasy. You know, you're going to an all black school when you get out in the real world, it's not going to be all black like that, which I mean, true, but that doesn't necessarily mean it's to my detriment or anything. If that's the case, you know, like I don't think that negatively or, well, I don't know. Let me ask. Do you feel like you think that was a negative kind of thing for you? Absolutely not. No. No, I, I love that I went to an HBCU. I'm proud that I went to an HBCU, particularly FAMU. Not just being a legacy kid, but I feel like it gave me, uh, it started the foundation of, of the sense of myself because a lot of the public schools I went to were mixed schools or mostly white schools. And th- that is kind of what created this whole deep seated, am I good enough? Am I talented enough type things? It, it made me feel very, very insecure. And going to FAMU was like the first mostly black school I ever went to. And so going there, I ended up staying there for five years, but going there really gave me a sense of myself. And I found a lot of my community, not just in, as a designer, but like just as a, like a black nerd in general. I didn't know that there was going to be like a whole community of that at FAMU, because I, I left a lot of that at home. And then suddenly I found this whole net, these the multiple networks of Black people who are interested in the same things that I am. It's not just like, it's not just a white thing. It's, we like it too. And we put a spin on it and we put a flavor on it that is different and often copied. But it definitely gave me a better sense of myself. And that is still being felt to this day. So when you graduated from FAMU, what was your next step? 
getting a job because the job market in Tallahassee post Great Recession in 2011 was absolutely terrible. And just figuring out what I really didn't know, because I was going through a lot of personal things on top of that with uh, just my family and everything and just with myself. Eventually, I was able to get a job on campus at the Office of Communications, just like a little small internship, just a stepping stone, just something to put on my resume. I'm still grateful for it. It taught me that I still have a lot to learn about the real world, and that's what prompted me to apply to a slew of different grad schools. And you ended up going to SCAD, which is here. Well, there is a campus of SCAD here in Atlanta. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I went I went to the Atlanta campus. Yeah. How is it different? I mean, aside from the obvious, it's grad school versus undergrad, PWI versus HBCU. But how is it different from FAMU besides those ways? Well, the campus is, a, is, is all indoors and FAMU is very like it's very open, widespread campus and SCAD is very like kind of modular a little bit. It's kind of interesting because like it was my first time going to grad school, my first time going to art school, my first time being out going to school out of state, living out of state, living in a dorm. And I did this mostly by myself. And it was kind of like almost a dream come true because I wanted to I always wanted to go to art school and I absolutely value and treasure uh, the experience I got at FAMU. And I don't think I would be the designer that I am today if it wasn't for FAMU. But I feel like SCAD really took that potential and molded it and focused it and showed me all these other possible things that could happen. And even within SCAD, there are pockets of people who had either graduated from HBCUs, people that were also like artists, um, either photographers, fashion designers, videographers, things things of that nature, particularly within the grad program. Um, a lot of the um, undergrad friends that I met, unfortunately, didn't have that HBCU kind of comeuppance. But at the same time, you know, there was still this camaraderie. There was definitely like a lot. I, I knew a lot of the um, the black artists that were there, and I had a lot of friends who knew a lot more. There was definitely some type of camaraderie, particularly that we were in Atlanta, and a lot of Atlanta art is very powerful. So that definitely helped as well. And now, while you were at SCAD, you ended up kind of switching your focus, didn't you? You you yeah. started off, you know, when you were at FAM, kind of doing more graphic art. Is that right? Yeah, I got my bachelor's in uh, graphic design. And then I initially applied for graphic design for the MFA graphic design program. And then, but like the, it was kind of weird because like the credit system was a little bit different than what I was used to. So like I had to take, I only took like maybe one or two design classes and then like the rest of the my first year was just filler classes because the classes that I need to take in order to continue with the graduate program for graphic design that was like in the summer and I came in the fall so I had to wait a whole year before I can do that but at the same time I'm kind of grateful for that because it allowed me to explore what SCAD had to offer I ended up like taking like a printmaking class I took like a a lighting class, which greatly helped me like in just everything else in general. And then I, um, over the summer, like I took 
like a, a video editing class. And that was like my first taste of, of motion design. I took a class at FAM and I don't think I was like very good at it then, but I think with this video editing class that I took definitely kind of gave me the, the building blocks of becoming a better motion designer. Again, it was like I took a, I took that class and another and another. And also, like, grad school is a little bit different. I couldn't just sign a paper and sign my name and say I want to be a motion designer. I had to reapply to the program. Oh, wow. To, yeah, I had to reapply to the program, like, write out a whole letter and everything to say, like, this is what I want to do now. And luckily, I was accepted. And, you know, I continued on with the program. Wow, I didn't know you had to reapply. But I guess that sort of makes sense because there's different schools, right? It's not, mm-hmm. I mean, it's all SCAD, but there's different kind of admission requirements and things like that for each yeah. of the different so, kind of disciplines. Yeah. So for like graphic design, it was the school of communication. And for motion graphic design or, and SCAD is motion media design. And that's a very important distinction. It was the school of digital media. So I was essentially applying to another school within the campus. Yeah. But, okay. Now, based on kind of the research I've done, I see that you've held a number of different kind of freelance graphic design gigs around the city. When Mm -hmm. you look back at that time, what do you remember the most? That I really wasn't paid enough and (laughs) that I didn't (laughs) and that I just wanted to kind of build myself up however I could because like going to SCAD is just... It's a whole different thing. Like going to an HBCU is a whole different thing, but going to an art school is a whole different thing. And it's very, very hard to describe unless you've like done it. Why don't you try to describe that for the audience? Because I'm sure we've got some art students listening and we definitely have people here that have (laughs) been to art school. So break that down for us. Okay. So now, mind you, I, I was in the graduate program and a lot of people thought I was an undergrad. So the graduate program, they expect more and less time. The the hours of the classes are like longer and harder. You're kind of, they give you a little bit more of a free reign, but at the same time, they will only like, they will definitely help you, but they will only do so like if you ask. And going to an art school, there's a lot of pressure particularly at SCAD, because going to FAM, we had 16 weeks to really do everything. At, 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 FAM, at SCAD, you only had 10. So like midterms and finals would all would just breeze by. Like I think like by week four or five, it's like, oh, it's midterms. And I'm like, how? I, <laughs> I, like I just got here and I am already expected to, you know, come up with this project that's going to take me to like, 10, 15, 20 hours to do in two different classes. But, okay, so art school, you really have to, like, figure out what you want to do. They will give you the time, but particularly in grad school, you already have to know what you want and you you have to know where you want to go. And I guess that's pretty true for for grad school in general. But I think, like, when, when it comes to art school, it's just... I don't know if I'm really describing this well. There's a lot of talent there. There's so much talent. And it's 
like every like every fall quarter or something like that we would have like an open studio and it would be like an open invitation to all the students and alumni and the immense amount of creativity that you see there it, it's really a good way of seeing who your peers are and where you are at and like my very first year that I went I was kind of blown away and almost overjoyed just to see how much creativity and talent and risk-taking there was. And I said to myself, I'm going to be here next year. I'm going to have something on this wall. I don't care what it is. I'm going to have something on this wall. And I ended up being in there for like maybe two, for the next two or three years. And but yeah, it really forces you to think about what you want to be as an artist, as a designer, as a creative in general. It forces you to really think about the direction you want with your creative career. Whether it goes that way or not, it forces you to really think about how you want your creativity to impact your community all over. Okay. I think I kind of see where you're coming from when you when you put it that way. That makes sense. Yeah, and and we our mascot is the bees and this whole and we have this whole thing where, you know, artists pollinate the world. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> that, like that there's that whole thing, so I guess that kind of makes sense, but I mean, it's a little cheesy, but I, I kind of like the metaphor. Gotcha. <laughs> so it sounds like the design community has been pretty good for you while you've been here in Atlanta. I'd imagine you've made like connections at SCAD, et cetera. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah, absolutely. And it's opened up a lot of different opportunities. And one in particular that I remember was I had a professor, Professor Imperato. He was actually the first motion design teacher that I took from that um, video editing class. And he all, and we also took some um, alternative motion design classes with him. And he's kind of like the one to really help me show the potential of what motion design could be. Because his philosophy is that motion media design encompasses everything and absolutely everything. So there's really no limit to what you can do except for your own imagination. And I know that Sounds very typical, but it, he really kind of like emphasized that and proved that. And I think he was also on the Atlanta Film Festival Committee. And one day on Facebook, he was like, hey, do you want a VJ for Big Frida? And I'm like, oh, wow. Yes. absolutely." <laughs> <laughs> and yeah, so I ended up, I, Big Frida was like, was the headliner for the Atlanta for the 40th Atlanta Film Festival Sound and Vision concert. There's like a bunch of different other artists who opened, but Big Frida was like the main event. And in his class, I learned how to VJ, which is basically video jockeying. It's the same thing as DJing, except you're just doing it with live videos. And there are tons of different programs about that that help you do that. So yeah, I spent like a week preparing for that. Like looking through, looking through Big Frida's um, videos and coming up with some stuff on my own, and some stuff that I come up with in class and kind of put it all together, and it it, it kind of worked. It, it was really awesome, and I ended up getting a, like a photo and all of that stuff. It was really awesome. So, like a lot of things like that tend to happen when um, when I switch to motion media design, and that kind of let me know that. I was on the right path. I was doing something really awesome that not only made me happy, but allowed me to express it in 
like more public ways. Mm-hmm. Wow. That's pretty awesome. Yeah. I, I still can't believe that happened. <laughs> <laughs> Talk to me about the glitch art. Like I know you said that you started going and doing motion graphics while you were at SCAD and there's, you know, lots of different types of motion graphics that are out there. What is it about the glitch art that appeals to you? So I mentioned before that I kind of deal with anxiety and stuff. And I'll kind of loop back around once I kind of explain how I got started with it. So when I was kind of getting into my thesis mode, we were starting to take our thesis prep classes. We weren't expected to have anything yet, but this was supposed to kind of get us in the mood and in the mindset of thinking about what we're going to write and create for our thesis. And one of my classmates brought a glitch book. I forget the name escapes me right now, but it brought a, um, she brought a book about glitch art. I had never heard of glitch art before. Like I've seen people use it as like effects and stuff like that in movies or in TV shows, but not, not to the degree it is now, but still like I was kind of aware of it. And so she brought like a, a book and she let me look at it. And this was sort of like almost an academic book on glitch art. And I was like, people actually do this. Like this is actually being studied and being like dissected in, in an academic sense. And I'm like, I want to do more of this. And luckily my professor was very much into that. He kind of told me about, I did some research on my own, but he kind of gave me a good foothold about how to get started as a glitch artist. And that also was another thing that I kind of propelled that kind of helped me realize that I was doing the right thing by doing glitch art. Cause like that open studio thing I said before. Okay. But yeah, like that was another thing that my professor said that I was um, kind of doing the right thing because the very first year that I did glitch art, I was able to get like a lot of my pieces in open studio and that really, really solidify like, okay, I need to incorporate this in my motion design. I need to incorporate this in my life somehow. And on top of that, those same designs I was able to submit to a art museum in Korea, South Korea, to this art book called the uh, Art Yellow Book, which is basically like this. Basically, they give you two pages to do whatever you want on it. You can put as much or as little stuff on it. And they accepted my work, and I'm actually kind of published in a book in a foreign country. So it's another one of those things that is like it's helping me like reach different avenues and different ways that I never would have really thought. Now, I've seen, you know, quite a bit of photos of you in cosplay, which I think was pretty cool. <laughs> you mentioned, you know, very just offhandedly when you were at, at FAMU that you kind of found this black nerd community and everything you know it, it surprised me when i went to morehouse I, not to say that i was a hmm how can i put this was i a nerd in high school yes but a different <laughs> i guess it was different because i grew up in like the deep south well, i grew up in alabama but grew up in the deep south you know and this is the the 90s when a lot of nerdy stuff is really not it really hadn't trickled down to the south no no no. it hadn't trickled down to the south in terms of like i guess mass adoption or even any kind of adoption you know you really only heard about stuff maybe if you saw something on the internet like i didn't live near a big city that might have a comic book shop or something like that 
And I certainly didn't live in California where a lot of kind of the modern anime and, you know, manga sort of adoption really started to take place in, you know, colleges over there. So right. when I got to, to, uh, I knew about anime when I got to college, but like I finally got to see like real Japanese anime. And like there was a black guy I knew there. He was in my class. He spoke Japanese. And I'm like, what? <laughs> what is this? This is crazy. How did you yeah. sort of first get the, the cosplay blog? Was that something that, that you kind of picked up in college or were you doing that beforehand? So, how I got into cosplay was kind of interesting. I actually didn't get into it until I went to SCAD because, like, I was in the FAMU anime club. I was president for a couple of years and we would go to conventions, like, particularly MegaCon in Orlando and then sometimes AWA here in Atlanta. And I didn't really cosplay. I just kind of went for the experience because I'd been going to conventions since I was 15 in high school. And I wanted, and the people that I met at FAMU hadn't done that. So I wanted to bring them and have them experience that. Like I brought some people to their very first convention. Some of them cosplayed, like sometimes you would dress up, like not necessarily cosplay, but put on a bunch of nerdy stuff and just kind of go out and people would, would like it or not. And it, or it's whatever you, it, it was very freeing. So as far as, cosplay goes i was very 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 subconscious about that because there's a lot of racism within the cosplay community and i was very 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 tapped into that and very tuned into that and not only that like i'm a big black guy i'm not some of these like ripped muscular guys that you would see on anime that are like you know blowing up planets and lifting rocks and you know, stuff like that. So I had to, I was dealing with my own self-conscious and, and racism on top of that. And then one, after my first year at SCAD, I decided to go to New York because I just wanted to go to New York because I'd never been to New York. And I met a cosplayer named Tony Ray. And we just so happened to be on the same like aisle, like sitting next to each other. He was coming back from Dragon Con that is a convention that people should go to if you want to really ex kind of experience that. But going back to cosplay, like he saw my green, I was wearing a lot of green lantern gloves. I was very, I was very much an art school boy. I embraced art school. <laughs> <laughs> and so like I was wearing these green lantern gloves. I found, I think at uh, like hot topic or Spencer's or something like that. And he noticed and he was like, Oh, I really like that. And he showed me his green lantern tattoo on his forearm. And I'm like, Oh, that's cool. And then, so he tells me about his cosplay adventures and then, he showed me this picture of him as a pink ranger next to Jason David Frank, the original Green Ranger, and his other friends also in ranger cosplay. And I'm like, oh my god, I just saw you a month ago. You're amazing. You're like a black guy with locks in a pink ranger like costume, and you're just killing it. And I'm like, I want to be like you. And so the entire trip... I think we had a connecting flight as well, but like that entire trip going to New York, he convinced me to become a cosplayer. And then I went as the ninth doctor at AWA. And then it just kind of went from there. And I went to my first Dragon Con as uh, John Stewart, the Green Lantern. I actually had it commissioned and made. It was really expensive, but it was very worth it. I still have it in my closet. And I 
I've been cosplaying every year ever since, and I have not, I have not regretted it. And I absolutely thank Tony Ray for giving this other black nerd confidence to cosplay and not, and essentially not give a fuck about it. Yeah. Very cool. I was going to ask if you were still doing it. I know because of the pandemic, a lot of, you know, the cons have moved online, but I wondered if you were still kind of, you know, doing it where you making new costumes or things like that. So like, I'm not so much as a costume maker. Like I'm, I'm what you would call a casual cosplayer. So like I'm able to take regular everyday items and still become that character. Like my go-to character right now is static and I'm not sure like if anybody else knows who static is, but he's a, he's a teenager with locks. He's got electrical powers he lives in Dakota City, and it's originally from comics. It was uh, written on from Milestone Comics, but there was also a TV show on Kids WB that I grew up with, and and Tony also uh, cosplays Static as well. He's he's cosplayed him several times in different incarnations, but that's typically my go-to cosplay, and all that really required was like a t-shirt and some jeans <laughs> and, and like a little sweater vest. And the most expensive thing was pretty much like I put faux locks in my hair and which was really, really, really fun. And that was pretty much the most, the most extensive thing that I did for that cosplay. Yeah. I'm kind of more of a casual cosplayer. I have friends of mine who like are fabricators who build fake weapons. I have, Friends of mine who are like dedicated ranger cosplays, who do like like Justice League cosplays, X Men cosplays, like build from the ground up, fabricating. Like so, I unfortunately didn't inherit my mom's fashion sense of being able <laughs> to kind of sew things together and kind of just put things apart. Um, mostly because like I'm, I don't really know my sizes, and I I have a whole thing about clothing because size but i made it work i was able to like i was able to make it work and and cosplay and so i would have gone to dragon con this year but of course the pandemic the last time i went to dragon con i was static for most of the convention Mm -hmm. and it's really really something else to like have people say like oh hey static shock or oh hey static and it's really something Cause like other than Tony and maybe a handful of other black cosplayers, yeah. I don't see static cosplayed that often, which is why I try to do him so frequently. And it's so, uh, it overjoys me when people recognize that and say like, Oh yeah, you're my childhood hero or mm-hmm. something like that. Cause like I'm essentially embodying that. So that is, it's things like that that help me cosplay and the kids I do it for them. and it's for the kids too. Whenever I see like little little kids like just call me like static or recognize me in any cosplay. I've had kids recognize me as Green Lantern. I've had kids recognize me as I did I had a Black Panther necklace on one time and a, a bunch of the little black kids gave me the Wakandan salute and I had to do it back because because like it I had to. It was amazing. It was the power and the confidence that being a cosplayer has afforded me has just been immeasurable. 
That's pretty cool. I, I didn't think about the kid portion of it. I mean, I see a lot of, of course, adults doing it, and then I see adults posing together, and it's like, oh, you know, it's for the kid and all of us. I get that. But, you know, I can see where, especially for young kids, and, and this day and age, really, there's so many different representations out there that are just in the media mm-hmm. in terms of, you know, we're talking anime, like there's a lot more black characters now. There's characters, different sizes and things of that nature. And mm-hmm. Netflix, I feel, has really done a, a stellar job of bringing anime into households in a very kind of easy to digest way. Like, yeah. you know, back in my day, <laughs> I had to watch anime at 5 a.m. on USA Network. It was in an hour. They would do Sailor Moon and Dragon Ball. And, you know, when I got to college, then you learned about VHS tapes and people had all kind of stuff burned on discs and everything. Now, you kids have it so easy now. You can get your anime streaming services and shit to any device that you want. Well, you, y'all have it so fucking easy now well, when it comes my, to anime. Well, back in my day, <laughs> I, am, I am of the Toonami generation. So my anime was packaged and delivered to me on the television streams in the form of a uh, anime block by Cartoon Network. Uh-huh. And that, I cannot stress, I cannot overstate how much that impacted my life. Like that, I don't think any other after-school block, TV block, impacted my life and an entire generation the way that Toonami did and still does to this day. It's like you said, it had all of these different types of Anime, you know, Sailor Moon, Dragon Ball, Gundam Wing, Outlaw Star, Roroni Kenshin, Tenshi Muyo, Yu Yu Hakusho, all of these things really kind of like that, that kind of like started me as like the anime nerd, which is why I became president of a, of a black anime club for two years. So it, it really kind of, it brought the nerd out of me. And going to FAMU made me unapologetic about it. And then going to SCAD made me be a little bit more fearless about being a black nerd unapologetically. And I would say for anyone that's listening, that is, is this part of the show is hitting you right in the feels. There's actually a podcast from Crunchyroll called anime in America by Mm -hmm. Yadoya Travis. Definitely go and seek that out. I think it's like eight or nine episodes. They should all be out. Like it's a whole series. Go and seek that out. It's a black guy talking about anime and how it sort of came about in the United States. Everything from cons to subbed versus dubbed and hentai and a whole bunch of stuff. So definitely go seek it out. Really, really good. What would you like to achieve by this time next year? I would like to be in a higher position as a designer. I would definitely would like to... Yeah, be in a better position as a designer because I feel like where I'm at right now, I could do more. But also, I uh, definitely would like to cosplay again at some point. But as a designer, I definitely would like to be at uh, creating more things that kind of reflect me because I do love, like, I've learned a lot in sports design in terms of like how busy it is and how meticulous it is and how much you have to double check and recheck and recheck everything again that's definitely given given me that sense but i would also like to do more stuff that kind of reflect the things that i like to do in a space that feels more comfortable to me and that's not to say that i'm not entirely 
comfortable with sports design, but I feel like I could be more comfortable maybe like at an ad agency or at like a social media agency because I feel like I feel like with what I learned at SCAD and FAM, those are the types of things that kind of reflect the stuff that I do as well and stuff that I could incorporate glitch in because I've actually incorporated some glitch in my designs for some of the companies I've worked for and it's worked and worked for what they needed. So I feel like being in a position to where I can utilize a lot more of my skill set would be probably my answer. Gotcha. And there's a lot of agencies here in the city, too. Uh, Actually, this week, well, this week that we are recording this was the 10th anniversary of this event that the One Club puts on called Where Are All the Black People? And this is the first time that they've done it virtually. And so they had their sessions online. But then they also had this kind of interesting, almost like a speed dating kind of video roulette networking kind of opportunity where each of the days of the event, you'd sign up for 10 minutes with an agency and it's you and like four or five other people inside of a zoom chat or whatever. And you basically tell them who you are and what you're looking for. And then they'll say, send me your resume. And then it, 10 minutes whoop, goes to the next one. And so they did that all three days. And I think for people that are looking to get into advertisement, that are looking to kind of change direction in their career, it's a great event to check out. Interesting. So it was like speed dating interviews? Yeah, pretty much. So the recruiters are in there and maybe like someone else that works at the agency. And then it's you and like however many other people signed up for that session. And so in a way, <laughs> it's like speed dating, but then it's also like a battle royale because you have to get your you have to get your introduction in in the 10 minutes and hope that they hear you before they boot you to the next one. <laughs> <laughs> oh wow yeah that's, that's if you brutal. i mean that's if you do it like i did which was sign up for every single one so then i was doing like 12 o'clock 12 15 12 30 12 45 but that's because oh, oh, that i'm of, i'm that kind of networker like i want to get it like out the way but gotcha. yeah <laughs> that kind of that kind of sounds like a, almost like a career fair because i know scad had it has its own career fairs and like you would have to sign up for different companies and stuff like that. They'd be like, when do you want your interview? 10.30. When do you want your interview? 11.30, 12. So it, it kind of sounds like that a little bit. Yeah, it's, it's very much like that. Very much so. Cool. Yeah. Yeah. What do you kind of appreciate most about your life right now? I appreciate the fact that I've been able to, for the most part, work from home and to be able to reflect on everything that I have to reflect on the family that I was born into. I've been doing a lot of familial research on my family and learning a lot about that, a lot about them and myself to be able to rest whenever I can without feeling guilty about it. Cause I, that's a very big thing with me is, you know, you can't do the work if you can't do the rest. So that w- that's been a big thing for me. And um, also like working on a lot of the projects that I felt like I couldn't do when I was working. Cause during the pan, not during the pandemic, like pre COVID I was working two different jobs and which consumed pretty much most of my day. And then I had to travel a lot, which was like three hours altogether. So I would go from one job and then 
travel and then go to another job and then get home by nine o'clock and be absolutely burnt out and exhausted and do it all over again for the rest of the week. So I've been, I'm very fortunate and blessed to like, to still have a job and have enough provided for me to still be able to maintain everything that I have and to be able to cultivate a lot of the creativity that I've been wanting to do for a while now. And as terrible as this pandemic has been, it has afforded me the time and the space that I have wished for for years is just, I just need some time to myself and to be able to kind of like rest and recover and then go back at it. Cause I felt like I didn't have that for a while and a lot of people still don't. So that's why I feel very, very fortunate to, to have been given that. Now, one question that I'm asking, you know, every designer or really every guest that's been on the show, designers mostly, but is this, how are you helping to build a more equitable future? Like, how are you using your talents and your, your work to make that happen? Hmm. I am trying to, particularly with my art and my glitch art, a lot of, uh, one thing we didn't really touch on is uh, that I f- I'm kind of an Afrofuturist or African futurist, depending on which author you are uh, talking about. And if with the work that I do, I want to see us represented in more and in a much more variety of ways. And the past few years have definitely been good for that, but I, I feel like we can go further. I feel like we can push that further. And uh, a lot of the work that I've been able to work on during the quarantine is doing that. I, I don't have anything up yet, but I want to see us represented in weird and unconventional ways that people wouldn't normally see us in. But at the same time, it's very powerful and it's very moving and very poignant. And the the power of the image is, it's immeasurable, really. Like, just look at Chadwick Boseman. Like, you know, seeing him as, as Black Panther, the impact that he's left, the legacy that he's left, I'm not <laughs> trying to compare myself to him or anything like that. But But with what I want to do with the work that I'm doing is I want to reflect, I want to be able to contribute to the Black experience in a way that hasn't been seen before, in a way that people don't normally think about, and in a way that would inspire other people to kind of reflect on that as well. Mm. I like that. Where do you see yourself in the next five years? (laughs) That's so interesting because like, I didn't see myself here five years ago. Mm-hmm. And it's so weird because, because like five years ago was like 2005. I was still in grad school, so I didn't see myself working for 2015. Atlanta, 2015, yeah. <laughs> um, I'm sorry, I didn't see myself working for you know two sports teams. I didn't see myself being locked down, you know, at home in my apartment, which is where I'm recording from now. Five years before that, I was still in undergrad, and I didn't see myself as a glitch artist. I didn't see myself as a motion designer. So I don't necessarily know. I do know where like I would want to take my art, which is what kind of like my answer previously touched upon. 
it's not that I'm like directionless. I'm just open to whatever life presents to me because I'm always surprised. I'm always surprised by what happens. Like, because a lot of the stuff that I kind of intend to do don't really work out. And I'm not saying intention is a bad thing. Intention helps. It, it, it works. But I don't know, for my life, for me, it tends to be like a lot of the random whimsical things that kind of happen that I tend to get. And I just kind of go with it, kind of go with the flow with what's been handed to me. And because each time I've been surprised, I've learned something new about myself. And I've been able to open up a new part of myself and add it to my toolkit. And then once I'm done, I move forward. So yeah, like, uh, I don't necessarily know. I could say that, you know, I want to see myself in a high executive position, but I could also very well do a career change and be a documentarian or be a lawyer or something like that, or a fashion designer or a firefighter. I'm not saying I'm actually going to do that, but with the way that my life is, like, it's definitely going to be something creative. It's definitely going to be something that impacts my peers and other people. So yeah, I guess, I guess that's my answer is we will see. Well, just to wrap things up here, where can our audience find out more about you and about your work online? Well, you can find my work at IamBritonius.com. Britonius spelled B-R-I-T-T-O-N-I-U-S. I have my design and glitch work up there. And you can also find me on Instagram, the same name, Bretonius number two. And if you go there, it has links to my glitch IG and my design IG as well. All right. Sounds good. Well, Britt, I want to thank you so much for coming on the show. Thank you, of course, you know, for sharing your story. But I think also sharing how the other passions that you have really kind of inform the sort of work that you do, you know, sort of, as I was saying before, how sports design has this certain kind of like energy and, and movement and stuff to it. And it's good that you kind of draw on external things that you're doing outside of work to kind of help power the work that you do and everything. And I'm, I'm sort of the same way when it comes to opportunities, like you can, you can plan out your work and you can work your plan, or you can just kind of see where, the universe will take you. And I feel like you're definitely one of those folks that like, I'm going to see where the universe takes me. And I think that's a good thing, you know, especially in this creative landscape, you know, there's a lot of opportunities out there. Don't try to, you know, lock yourself down to any one thing in particular, but yeah, thank you so much for coming on the show. I appreciate it. Thank you for inviting me. This was fun. Big, big thanks to Britt Lyle II, and of course, thanks to you for listening. You can find out more about Britt and his work through the links in the show notes at revisionpath.com. Revision Path is brought to you by Lunch, a multidisciplinary creative studio here in Atlanta, Georgia. Are you looking for some creative consulting for your next project? Then let's do lunch. Visit us at yepitslunch.com. I'll put a link in the show notes. This podcast is created, hosted, and produced by me, Maurice Cherry, with engineering and editing by RJ Basilio. Our intro voiceover is by Music Man Dre, with intro and outro music by Yellow Speaker. So what did you think of this episode? 
Hit us up on Twitter or Instagram, or even better by leaving us a rating and a review on Apple Podcasts. I'll even read your review right here on the show. As always, thank you so much for listening, and we'll see you next time.